was called the wickedest man in the world by the press and proclaimed himself the Great Beast 666. Um, do you have any idea who I'm talking about? And it's not you before you say me. Okay, well, let me edit that out of my notes. My runner-up <laughs> was like a Zach Bagan situation. I feel like he would proudly claim either of those titles. But yeah, he probably does have that tattooed on him somewhere. So not Zach Bagans. Not Zach Bagans. His name was Alistair Crowley. Okay, I know his name, but I really don't know much about him and it's kind of embarrassing. So I'm glad we're going to pick that up today, change things up. His life was sort of scandalous, for lack of a better word, but he actually influenced modern day paganism, magic and witchcraft in a big way. And um, I'm with you. I knew the name, but I really didn't know much of the backstory. So we're going to dive right in and learn about this kind of troubling person. I love listening about troubling people, so I am all in. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rituals, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Christine Schieffer. And I'm M. Schultz. And every week we'll explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. Yes, today we are discussing Aleister Crowley, a man who wore many hats. I meant that figuratively, but probably literally as well. I feel like he's the kind of guy to wear. He's a flashy man. He's a flashy man. He had a lot to say, a lot to do, and a lot of opinions. And he, he's still kind of sticking around in modern day paganism. So I'm embarrassed that up until now, I still don't know who he is because I feel like we have certainly had many years of talking about this kind of content where I could have done a quick Google search. But I think my memory of him was always too fleeting and I didn't want to just ask somebody because I feel like everyone expects me to. Maybe it's my own weird pressure on myself, but I know nothing about him. And I know he's a very notorious man in this world. Yes, notorious is probably the best word for it. And to your credit, I feel like part of the problem is that you can't really do a quick Google search on a guy. You need to do kind of more of a deep dive, which is why I'm so thankful podcast researchers did the deep dive because mm -hmm. there is a lot going on. And I think you would have been sucked into some sort of internet wormhole and probably never come out the other side. So <laughs> not to be dramatic or anything, but no, it's 100% fair. I would have maybe <laughs> thought I was him by the end or something. Based on how fixated I would have probably gotten on his story. Well, I'm going to tell you all about it. So let's crack into it. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
So as we get started, I want to note from the top that Aleister Crowley's life became sort of a mixture of sexual freedom and magic. But Mm. this didn't happen until later on in the story because he actually grew up in a pretty strict fundamentalist household. So Mm. as we begin, you're going to hear kind of the upbringing and it's very conservative and strict. And then as we go, you'll see how kind of he pulls a 180 on us. I feel like there's such a, I don't know if stereotypes even the right, maybe it is. It's kind of a cliche. It's certainly a cliche of, that's a great word, with kids with strict upbringings rebelling in their later years. I am not surprised that if Aleister Crowley was going to be raised in a world of, I assume, strict purity culture, of course, later, after a few questions are answered, he's going to be like, oh, okay, let's try the sexual freedom thing. (laughs) Let's be... Let's go... All the way to the other side of the spectrum. Yeah, I'm a deviant now, is what he said. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Is that a quote? Can you find that for me? Because I'm yeah. a deviant now. I feel like would have been written on a hat or something. I was going to say it was one of his embroidered hats, one of his many hats. And I would like to sell it in our merch store. Anyway, <laughs> it is a cliche. And you're exactly right. He did pull a 180 and rebel. And so we're going to get into that, honestly, pretty quickly. But yeah, you're right. Like suppressing a kid from kind of exploring and being, you know, their true self and really learning about what they like and what they're interested in seems to, in a cliche way, but it's a cliche for a reason, kind of turn out badly. Maybe not the way that a strict parent would expect. I think if you deprive people of information and Mm. self-discovery, then that's a recipe for a world of hurt later on your end, mom and dad, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Are you listening, mom and dad? (laughs) Mom and dad, are you listening? (laughs) They're not, which is the saddest part. Anyway. (laughs) Actually, it does work the other way, too, I think, because I grew up in a household where sexual freedom was abound. And now I am like the most vanilla person because I was traumatized in different ways, folks. We are the poster child for different angles at this whole parenting thing. So, you know, try out what you want. So far, it sounds like I'm the opposite of Aleister Crowley. So maybe that might be a good thing. I don't know. I think it's a good thing in the end. I think ultimately you'll be pleased you're kind of in a different world. Okay, cool. I know that he's in the world of spiritualism, but he started out religious. Mm -hmm. Is that also common? I mean, do you have anything like that happen? I know you used to be religious, or at least you grew up religious. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I grew up in a Catholic household. I like to call myself Reformed Catholic, much to my godmother's chagrin. But growing up Catholic and now kind of delving into spiritualism and really You know, that cliche, again, it's not to use that word, but that kind of trope of like, oh, I'm not religious, I'm a spiritual person. Like, that's Mm -hmm. kind of how I tend to view myself. And so obviously being interested in this kind of thing, I do tend to get a little bit skeptical because growing up in Catholicism, I'm like, anytime there's like, you know, rules and anytime I feel like even if it's spiritualism, a lot of times it does verge on pulling from different religions, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so I do get skeptical of like, am I just entering another territory that's wearing a different face of Christianity? Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, totally. I feel like if you grew up in a world where things didn't always click, <laughs> it's, mm. it's fair to that when other things happen that don't click right away or maybe feel too close to something yeah. you knew in your past. Maybe you're like, oh, I don't know about that one. Yeah. So I do get a little skeptical sometimes, but I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. Just thought I'd throw that out there as a soundbite for everybody. (laughs) As the most common soundbite of this generation, maybe. (laughs) So what do you know about Aleister Crowley? Because I really, as far as I know, he's like a real life warlock. That's what I just like. I kind of ran with that and just hoped no one would ask me any different. But what do you know about him? That I feel like you 
kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's probably how he saw himself at the very least. <laughs> it's so hard to even say in one sentence like who this guy was because he did so many random different things. But before this episode, like I really did not know too much about him. Honestly, if somebody had told me, oh, that's a fictional character, I would have probably believed them. I would have been like, oh, OK, <laughs> I thought he was a real guy. I knew probably less about him than you did. So if oh, that makes okay. you feel any better. <laughs> yeah. OK. I knew that I think Zach, like I mentioned Zach earlier, I think he actually owns stuff that used to belong to Aleister oh. Crowley. I feel like I heard about that at his haunted museum. I think he owns like one of his like ritual chalices or something. Oh, my goodness. Well, something really dark and spooky. And he had something that was like a certificate that was signed by Aleister Crowley or something. Aleister Crowley, the name alone sounds to me like a character out of like a Charles Dickens novel. And I think that's why I kind of always assumed maybe he was a fake person. <laughs> he sounds like an actual warlock. It sounds like <laughs> yeah. it sounds like a name that only a magic would be surrounded by. So <laughs> it's less new age than that. But if you told me that that was actually a name that was pulled out by the Harry Potter series, I'd be like, oh, that tracks. Yes. And honestly, I would not be surprised if Harry Potter has mentioned him or at least referenced him in, in J.K. Rowling has mentioned him in some of the <laughs> books because it feels like it's pretty on brand. Well, Aleister Crowley was born in Warwickshire, England in 1875. Okay. And uh, we're going to talk about a guy, again, who's, you know, professing his belief in sexual freedom and magic and Mm -hmm. We're talking 1875, so you can see why this is just simply not going to fly with a lot of people. Why? 1875 is the most <laughs> liberal hedonist paradise I've ever heard of. <laughs> hedonist paradise, wow. <laughs> Crowley grew up in a very strict Christian household. His father was a member of an organization called the Plymouth Brethren, and they basically preached that the Bible was to be interpreted literally as written. So oh, that's a lot. Because if anyone's read the Bible or even parts of it, I guess I would say it's hard to me. It's impressive that they were able to convince themselves to take the whole thing literally because a lot of it is symbolism or at least reads as symbolism. Well, when he was 11, his father died and he started to get really rebellious. So at age 11 was already the time when he's turning the tables here. His mother tried to get him back on track as a good Christian boy, but eventually she began calling him the beast. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And this is basically a reference to the one mentioned in the book of Revelation, which, again, remember, they're taking this literally. So she is calling him like the great beast from the Bible, which honestly, again, I feel like that was an attempt to punish him. But, you know, he took that and ran with it, as probably I would have done the same. I feel like if you're going to call your son like the worst thing you know, while he's processing his father's death and probably because of his father's death, he's questioning his mm -hmm. faith. I feel like you have to have a really solid explanation for why you're doing that. I feel like <laughs> 11 is a very fragile age yeah. and he's already on the edge. And I appreciate that he's rolling with it. But honestly, with all the dark stuff he was probably dealing with, I feel like if I were 11 and that happened, I might internalize that maybe I am a beast and I'm part of the reason for my part of the death problem. or something. That's a good point, because up until now, if he's been raised in this culture where, yeah, the beast is the worst thing you could be and his mother starts calling him that, that's a good point. He probably did internalize that. And maybe if he was already like on the verge of rebelling, because I feel like with such a fragile moment, mm -hmm. like such like a dark moment for a kid, especially I don't know. I feel like if someone's going to call you the beast and maybe you think part of it's true, maybe it 
gave him permission to keep rebelling. Mm. I don't know. Maybe he was like, well, if I'm already the beast, like there's really no saving me anyway. So I mean, that's exactly true. Like if she's calling him the beast because he's rebelling, well, then, you know, that's his truth now. And he might as well live it out. Right. So exactly. That's what he did. Like you'd think it would bother him, but he became fascinated by the association and continued his rebellious ways before heading off to Cambridge in 1895. And while at Cambridge, Crowley basically had his sexual awakening. And there we are. There we go. This is where it all begins. And being at college allowed Crowley to figure out his own sexuality. And while he did date many women, he also met a guy named Herbert Pollitt in 1897. And the two... Good for him. Yeah. See, now we're thinking, okay, wow, yeah, we can get behind this great beast situation, right? Like, Yeah. Oh, God. I can't only imagine him calling himself that during his sexual oh, prowess. Em, why did you have to say that? <laughs> you know any like <laughs> freshman dude in college who's like trying to prove that he's worth the salt is going to be like, yeah, they call me the beast back at home. You ever heard of the Great Beast? He probably growled. Okay, next or next. Sorry. (laughs) I'm vetoing that. (laughs) I'm vetoing that comment. That's fair. Yeah. To be fair, though, his mother called him that, which also kind of adds a little bit of weirdness. Freudian? A little Freudian moment, maybe? All right. I'm going to move on and pretend you said nothing. Okay. So he met this guy, Herbert Pollitt, in 1897, and they did have a brief relationship, but it was a serious relationship. So good for him. Good for them. Good for him. And then he became interested in writing at school. And this is when he published his first works, including his notorious erotic poetry collection in 1898. So when Alistair was 21 years old, he now inherits his father's money. Remember, his father had passed when he was 11. Oh, yeah. And at 21, he inherits this money. And using my trusty, dusty inflation calculator, I can tell you this would have been in the millions. So let's put this together real quick. So you Mm -hmm. have a boy who was raised in a very strict kind of conservative upbringing, Mm -hmm. a strict household. Then he went to college, began to explore his sexuality, lost his father. So went through this tragic event, got a hold of millions of dollars and now has the freedom to do what he wants. I mean, this is bound to be a disaster. A recipe, a recipe for disaster. (laughs) So while he was at school in October of 1896, Crowley got very sick. And this is when he began contemplating life a little more deeply. And he decided he didn't want to just kind of surface explore, you know, write some poetry here and there, call himself the beast. He wanted to leave behind a legacy. And while his strict Christian upbringing was not the thing, obviously, he already let that cat out of the bag. That was not going to be the thing he turned back to at this point. (laughs) He was still attracted to the idea that when his father was alive, he had kind of a following. He had a large influence on people. And so, Uh yeah, basically, you can see what's coming here. His father had followers and he decided, I want to have that same kind of influence, but in the occult world. Okay, at least he's shaking things up a little bit, I guess. Yeah, you know what? I mean, we've seen this time and time again with people who kind of start their own group just for the sake of having the power, the influence. As a true crime podcaster, let's just say I've seen it time and time again. And Crowley basically began to explore spirituality and the occult and decided, I'm going to find a way to kind of turn this into a way that I can be a leader in this movement and have my own followers and have influence. So he finds out about this secret occult society called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn in November of 1898. 
Golden Dawn members followed philosophies and practices that supported the individual spirit. So in theory, that sounds lovely, you know? Basically, you're saying like, oh, what works for you? Well, you know, we're going to support that in a spiritual way. So it kind of sounds good. It sounds like how they all, I imagine, start. Like, just like one very nice notion, and then they just let you marinate in that for a second. Exactly. Basically, the Order of the Golden Dawn took influences from various religious practices. And that's kind of what I was mentioning earlier, too, of like even when you're getting into something more new age or spiritual, you still see remnants of different religions. And so sometimes I get a little skeptical, like how much are we pulling? How similar and how different is this from just a classic traditional religion? So they are pulling influences from various religious practices. This includes Kabbalah, Christianity, Freemasonry, paganism. And Crowley pretty quickly moved up the ranks in the order because people found him charismatic. I mean, he was the beast after all. He was the beast. And, you know, a charismatic person can always end up doing really good or really not good. I feel like all it takes is... You being charismatic and wanting a following and pretty quickly you're going to get exactly what you want. I feel like charisma is a dangerous tool that a lot of people use to their advantage and to others' disadvantage. Can confirm it is a burden and a curse in my life. So, (laughs) Oh, it it is, is it? Um, uh Just nothing but charm over here, folks. (laughs) Must be tough. Oh, man. We all feel so sorry for you. Yeah, I get it. You should. So as he's climbing the ranks in the order, he, meanwhile, is causing a lot of drama. So once again, I know we said you're the opposite of this, but charisma, drama, I don't know. I'm seeing a little bit of M. Schultz in this situation. I'm kind of what would happen if Aleister Crowley took a very different direction. (laughs) <laughs> Let's put it oh, that way. Oh, I see. He just made a podcast. <laughs> just no following, afraid of anything physical, and <laughs> like still into spooky stuff, though, you know, so. Just opens the poetry on an incognito tab and then immediately closes <laughs> it. Yeah, you're, you're definitely. I'm just, de- I'm just him in like an alternate universe for sure. Where like, I just made a lot of different calls. <laughs> Well, he is causing a lot of drama here, and this pretty much led to the Order of the Golden Dawn disbanding in the early 1900s. Wow. So after this, he took kind of a sharp turn, and between 1902 and 1903, he decided to focus on mountain climbing. (laughs) Honestly, I got nothing. Okay. That sentence is the most normal thing you've said in probably any episode so far. He had apparently picked it up as a teen and he got really into it. And I want to also point out that during his mountain climbing years, he also got married. So that's just another little footnote in the life of Aleister Crowley. Those two things that are pretty normal. He got married and he went mountain climbing. I do want to point out, though, that even though he's doing a relatively normal hobby, he once again caused so much drama on these mountains that he basically was like shunned from a lot of these groups and he turned his attention back to the occult for the rest of his life. And what a life it was. I am going to tell you all about it. Coming up, Aleister Crowley dedicated his adult life to the occult and spiritualism. I'll tell you what he called the most powerful force in life and the supreme source of magical power. It was me. (laughs) It was M. Schultz all along, not... Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. 
The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back to the life of Aleister Crowley. He is now out of his Christianity, very out, very far from his Christianity and his roots in Christian. Can't even see it with binoculars so far away. <laughs> Not from the second tallest peak. He didn't even see it. That's how far away it was. So he's out of his Christianity. He's out of college. And now we're with Aleister Crowley, the early 1900s. He decides he's going to spend his life dedicated to the occult and spiritualism. And around this time in 1903, he got married to a woman who would be a catalyst for his most notable work. They had kind of an interesting relationship as well. And while the couple was in Cairo, Egypt in April of 1904, his wife went into a sort of trance and started delivering what they called supernatural communications to her husband. Okay. I wonder, do we have a guess on how valid that experience was? The legitimacy? Uh, I don't know. I feel like if you're married to Alistair Crowley, you feel like you better commit to this life. (laughs) You better deliver (laughs) some interesting spiritual experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So through several sessions with her, Crowley wrote his book, The Book of the Law, which was allegedly dictated to him from his guardian angel and was apparently signed by a pharaonic priest Mm. and it was signed by this priest, but then Crowley later claimed that actually he was the reincarnation of this priest. So I'm like, so you signed it? Yeah, hang on a second. <laughs> I'm confused. Also, it sounds very similar to the Ouija board episode where people were just writing books yes. for ghosts, you know? You're completely right. And instead of giving credit to his wife, he's like, no, she was in a trance. Yeah, it wasn't she her. was busy. It was me in a past life talking through her. Wait, what? <laughs> Hang on, actually, wait a minute. Can you imagine if I went into a trance and now I'm talking as you to you? What a trippy (laughs) experience. You know what? She did deliver. She said, I married Aleister Crowley. And (laughs) that's how this is going to go. She said, watch me. And everyone (laughs) said, okay. (laughs) I guess we will. (laughs) Well, without getting into too many of the details about this book, because it's confusing. And I think even these little bullets might get confusing. So buckle up. The basic principle of the book is the law of Thelema, which is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Uh So the word Thelema is taken from the Greek language for will. So essentially, like you're following your own individual will, which reminds me of the hermetic golden dawn situation we had earlier of like individual spirit. That's what we're pursuing. So Crowley saw the law of Thelema as the pursuit of an individual's will unconstrained by popular opinion, law or conventional ethics. So kind of 
do what makes you happy, which, again, in theory, sounds pretty good, I guess. It sounds really nice, but it already sounds like a very slippery slope. That's the best word for it. Like things could go south really quickly. Mm -hmm. And surprise, surprise, they kind of Mm -hmm. do. So Crowley spent several years traveling around the world teaching these teachings from his books. And from 1907 to 1911, Crowley, under the direct influence of a spirit, allegedly, wrote 12 holy books and other non-magical works, too, including more poetry. His work expressed the fact that Crowley saw sex as the most powerful force in life and the supreme source of magical power. So I know you tried to tell me that you were the most powerful force. Well, it turns out it's actually sex. Sorry. Um, That's fine. (laughs) I also think, by the way, though, that like that feels like something every like dude bro has ever said. Like that sex is just like the most powerful thing. I feel like maybe, you know, you know, especially someone who calls himself the beast. Right. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. Right. And he's like, I can't think of anything cooler. I don't know. Or anything more powerful than my sexual prowess. Mm It helps also that it outraged, outraged British society of his time. And of course, that just fueled the fire. That was his favorite thing to do was cause drama. Mm-hmm. And now he's saying, oh, I love sex. And they're like, how dare you? Yeah, he's like, rock and roll, buddies. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> rock and roll, I'm the beast and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> So he purposely made explicit use of the most deviant sexual acts, quote unquote, as central components in his magical practice. Now, I think you firsthand got to witness some of that in his poetry. So sorry about that. But you did it to yourself. I did do it to myself. But also that makes sense a little bit that maybe it was intentionally deviant for the shock value or to really like separate himself from society. Yeah, it's like pushing buttons. Basically, he's pushing buttons on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe he was really into it. I don't know. He could do whatever he wants. I think it was probably a combination of both because he definitely liked the drama of it, but he seemed like he wasn't hating the experience. Yeah. (laughs) Hating the experience. Yeah. In 1909, Crowley announced in the first issue of his new publication, The Equinox, probably the most boring publication he's had so far, by the way. You've got things like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. (laughs) Like, okay, like, I think we could zhuzh it up if we wanted to. This feels lazy. I feel like this sounds like the name of a college newspaper or like a college creative arts paper, like the Equinox. Yeah, 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 exactly. So in this publication, he announced the formation of a magical order. It was abbreviated as AA, not to be confused with Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh That came later, I think. But it was called the Argentum Astrum. Well, obviously, he put all of his mental power into that and not Equinox. (laughs) But Argentum Astrum literally just translates to Silver Star, which is equally as boring as Equinox. So I feel like now he's just translating things into Latin to be like cool. Maybe he got a like an astrological pamphlet because Equinox, Silver Star and then Silver Star seemed boring. So he translated it to Latin. Maybe he was taking like a astrology class yeah i don't know yeah it sounds like he's really into like the cosmos in this moment of time so this was yeah his current interest Mm -hmm. if you will well unfortunately by 1913 this would have been four years later the aa was no longer going well so crowley got inspired by the ordo templi orientis or the oto which was a fringe masonic order and he became the head of the english-speaking branch of the order so instead of you know his own group now he decides he's gonna join this fringe masonic group and kind of climb the ranks again he really just drops things for the next shiny thing that comes along i I feel like he just keeps building things up, 
to create chaos and then they devolve <laughs> and then he just starts again and he's like and then he starts he's over. like this is exactly the way life's supposed to go and i feel like what was the name of that oto what was that oto yeah the ordo templi orientis what was going on in the world we're just like on every street corner there was a different crazy named spiritualist <laughs> fringe cult like what's going on i don't know <laughs> like are they just better at hiding it now or were they like i don't know like what was going on where he could just walk into every room and there's a new place for him to destroy <laughs> my guess is that this was kind of in vogue, if you will. And then over time, they probably got a bad rap for obvious reasons. And maybe nowadays they're not as popular of a trend. I don't know. As long as it's not as scary as some of these other societies seem, I would like the opportunity to be welcomed into like a secret society. I think that'd be fun. But they all sound a little too fringy. And it sounds like they're all just welcoming mm -hmm. anybody. Like every single one. I feel like if you looked at a certain year... Every one of them at one point had Aleister Crowley on the roster. Yeah, but Aleister Crowley was also a white dude. I feel like probably we would not have been welcomed into That's any fair. of these groups. That's certainly Sorry fair. to say. You know, I don't think that these... I mean, the other one, the brethren, I mean, that clearly indicates this is men. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think we would have been welcomed even if we wanted to. So I've been in secret societies that I was not welcomed or I was I did not feel welcomed in. So Oh, good. Good for you. I know. I backed out quickly. So we're good. You should have pulled an Alistair Crowley in AC and just destroyed it from within. I should have. It felt homophobic. So I feel like maybe they deserved it. So actually, I might go back. Hang on. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Go in there and rise the ranks and then destroy it from within. Okay. Actually, that sounds okay. that's like a fun summer project. I can do that. Okay, great. While living in America during World War One, it's about the time that he burned through all of his millions in inheritance. I say millions in today's money. So he burned through all of that money by the time he was living in the U.S., and we think that the OTO possibly funded some of his life at this point. Okay, got it. Yeah, well, that would make sense if he needs the money. Yeah, and not only is he in this group, but they're <laughs> paying for his livelihood, which is very interesting to me. And if that's the case, then maybe I also want to join some secret societies. I didn't know that they'll buy my groceries, but anyway, we'll talk about it later. The one I was in bought me one annual dinner. <laughs> oh, that's nice. And it was fine. It wasn't even like top tier food. So I don't know if you're missing out on anything in today's secret societies. Damn. Okay. I missed my chance. Yeah. Aleister Crowley continued to practice sexual rituals with a lot of people while working in New York, writing propaganda, forget this, pro-German publications. Yowza. Big He's really just out there to shock everybody. He is in it for the shock value. Mm -hmm. And Needless to say, that didn't go over well. Remember, it is World War I in the U.S. He doesn't have many friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's the polite way to put it. Fair <laughs> enough. It seems like he is going from social circle to social circle his whole life. So he might just be used to it. And burning bridges all along the way. Yeah. So in 1920, he moved to Sicily, where he established the Abbey of Thelema. We remember Thelema. Oh, Kind yeah. of uh, translates from Will as the headquarters for his new religion. So this is going to go great, I assume, which involved more vague spiritual enlightenment, presumably more thesaurus-filled phrases. <laughs> I don't know if they were astrology-based or what. Something whimsical. Who knows? 
He continued to experiment with sex and drugs, especially in his rituals. But in 1923, talk about drama, an Englishman died after a ritual where he allegedly drank the blood of a cat. Okay, so we have fully crossed the threshold into like wild town. Like now animals are being drank. So I think I'm officially, <laughs> yeah, I'm checked out, I think. I no longer can feel any sort of support for his quote unquote religion. Uh-huh. And I feel like I saw it getting there for a while. I knew it had to get pretty bad for him to be so notorious. Mm-hmm. I knew blood or some sort of like ceremony was to happen. But now that we've hit that spot, I somehow find myself shocked. So it's kind of amazing how he has the ability to do that. Even several pages into the notes, we're still kind of being taken aback by some of Uh his behavior. Yeah, exactly. So he was kicked out of Sicily and the Abbey of Thelema closed. And it was during the scandal that a newspaper called him the wickedest man in the world. And this is a phrase that you sometimes hear associated with him. Mm. Once again, I feel like that's something he probably embraced. Yeah, that's also probably why I thought of him as a warlock, which I don't think that word's coming up in these notes at all. I think in my head that was the story I told myself because I've heard of him as a wicked man and I associated it with like dark witchcraft or something and just kind of ran with it. And also, I don't think warlocks it. are actually bad. I think I'm going off of yeah, like... Yeah, I was like, I don't know if that's even the right... I think I'm going off of Halloween Town. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, probably not accurate. I'm just picturing the neural pathways in your brain going like the file folders. It's like, just a knot. Okay, they, Halloween look, town. they look like my earbuds in my pocket. They're just a big mass. <laughs> a big rat's nest. <laughs> like matted ball of yard. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was described as the wickedest man in the world, and I assume he embraced that title. Throughout the 1920s, Crowley traveled through France, Germany, and North Africa, And unfortunately for him, his life just kind of spiraled downward. So things were not going great for AC. Mm. Don't I know it. Alistair Crowley was declared bankrupt in 1935. As we know, he had already kind of run through all the inheritance money from his father. But he was able to publish several more books in the 1940s, including a final anthology of his poetry in 1947. He died of myocardial degeneration complicated by bronchitis on December 1st of 1947, which was the year that he published his last anthology. So he really was writing these poems up until the very end. Yeah. Wow. Also, I feel like I'm shocked that that was the way he went out. I feel like it had to be something crazy, like he like got pierced by a fence post or something. Like, I feel like (laughs) I was just expecting something more dramatic for to live your life that chaotically and just to like have like a normal medical condition that kind of like just like a a weak heart. Yeah. Yeah. I would have expected to another kind of a more dramatic death a la the Englishman who drank cat blood. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, like that didn't take him out. Okay. well, then like nothing should have. Up next, Aleister Crowley's legacy is complicated, but it's been very impactful on modern-day occultism. So he's still causing drama, is what I'm hearing. (laughs) To this very day. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway. 
And on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. For what it's worth, Aleister Crowley really did get what he wanted. He left behind a legacy. I mean, we're talking about him in 2022. And even though he did leave a legacy, it's definitely a polarizing one, which at this point, I think we both can understand why that would be. Mm -hmm. But his creation of a new ceremonial magic left a mark on 20th century occultism. We can say with certainty that he enjoyed the attention he got when he was alive and his fame grew even more after his death and kind of all of the stuff he had done up until that point followed him and made a name for himself even after death. Sure, yeah. There are still groups who call themselves the Lemites. Some people still use his tarot cards and read his books. Well, I feel like good or bad, he really made a name for himself. He was quite the force. Mm -hmm. Also in... A generally up until recently, I mean, maybe because we keep ourselves in these kind of circles, it doesn't seem as like fringe and scary to us. But I think growing up, the occult at all or witchcraft or paganism just seemed like spooky in a way or it was just mm -hmm. fascinating in general. So I feel like hopefully not everyone that still reads his books or knows about him or learns about him isn't doing it for any sinister motives i think out of nefarious right out of pure fascination like i mean we're talking about him just because like it's mind-blowing that this person existed and made it as long as he did so like i like to think that hopefully he's not influencing everyone that's still learning about him but man he certainly just changed my world with that poem earlier so i mean he's he's still making <laughs> he's still like planting himself into people's spirits you know you should see M's Neural Pathways just added another <laughs> layer of yarn. <laughs> that was when just shoved his way that in. That poem, it was like taking the ball of yarn in my head and like squeezing it and getting all like any sanity out. <laughs> <laughs> Alistair Crowley was also taken up by the counterculture of the 1960s and can be seen on the cover of the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band album between the Indian guru Sri Yukteswar. Hmm. And the Hollywood star Mae West. So if you're looking at the group there, you can spot him. I feel like I would not know who either of the two people next to him were. So that didn't totally help. But I will look for someone who <laughs> looks like, you know, he probably has ran and destroyed a lot of secret societies in the <laughs> 1920s. I bet I could find him on there. You could probably pick him out of a lineup without yeah, knowing. I yeah, think so. I have a feeling. Writers who found his life so fascinating even used him as inspiration in their work, including fictionalized versions of him. And I think that might be why I had pulled kind of this idea of him being a character. I mean, to be fair, he was a character, even though he was a real person. But I think I had also encountered him as a fictionalized character in other you know, works. Yeah. And so I think that might be why I thought maybe he wasn't really real. Fair enough. In 1974, the Royal Shakespeare Company put on a play called The Beast, which was a fictionalized adaptation of Aleister Crowley's life. I could get into watching that. I think that would be really fun to see. I agree. I'm not like a big theater person, so I don't totally know what else the Royal Shakespeare Company has thrown together. But I feel like The Beast would certainly be a nice, um, good first time appreciating their work. <laughs> yeah, I think you and I would have a good time watching that. I do wonder, though, when they say a fictionalized adaptation, 
I'm like, do we need to fictionalize it? It was pretty bananas as it was. You know There's I mean? some people you don't need to spin their story for interest, you know? <laughs> exactly. They spun it themselves. Yeah. So what do you feel about Aleister Crowley? Do you feel at all like on his side or are you just kind of like, I don't want to be part of this, just want to watch the train wreck happen from afar? That's, like, where, what do you that's think? where I am. Okay. I wish psychiatrists were lining up to like analyze where all this came from. Mm. I feel like it could probably be partially explained away pretty easily of like, oh, well, he had like a really like strict upbringing and there is that trope of like people like completely reverting into something else when they get older, if they're stifled at such a young age and given no opportunities to grow Mm -hmm. or discover themselves. Plus his dad died, which I imagine made him question his faith. And so Mm -hmm. I can see where he unraveled very quickly. Yeah. I would love to hear what a psychologist's opinion on like why he was so into shock value. I wonder if he was doing things because he enjoyed them and realized that there was a shock value to it. Or if I wonder if he only got into the stuff because he was craving shock value stuff. And then that's a good he point. saw that this stuck and then it just kind of became his worldview. I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm not sure. He was a lot. And mm-hmm. I feel like he could have had the impact he had by doing half of the things that he yeah. did. So the fact that he kept going and kept writing these poems and kept... I feel like it couldn't have all been for shock value because... Once you write enough erotic poetry that you've turned, you know, the genteel society upside down, <laughs> and then he did it up until the year he died, I'm like, he must have enjoyed it. Yeah, to, maybe to he was. To some extent, right? Like, he must have had a good time. Yeah, he must have had a good time. Causing chaos. I just think of when there's someone that I just really can't understand or their story is just so over the top. I really do just think of it from like, a I just want to analyze this person. And like, I'm not the person to expertly do that. But I would love to see like someone write like a report on him just to be like, mm-hmm. oh, this is why he can't keep friends. This is why he keeps like going into places and just like self-sabotaging and destroying everything in front of him. And then he just leaves and does it again. Like, yeah. I would love to hear what his wife had to say, you know? Ooh. Well, you know, usually when she speaks, it's uh, Through, a guardian it's angel. It's actually him, yeah. Yeah, it's actually him. So I don't know that that would be very helpful. But yeah, there was a lot more that, you know, we didn't get into today. He, for example, had mistresses. He dragged his family all over the world. His daughter ended up passing away at a young age and he blamed his wife for her negligence. Ooh. Like there was just a lot more that, you know, wasn't necessarily related to the occult part that also added to him being just kind of not the greatest dude on the planet. And so, you know, I don't know how much of this <laughs> was him just kind of being not a great guy, how much of it was him fully, you know, believing in occultism and spiritualism. I guess I want to know, what do you think as far as his view on sexual freedom? Do you feel like he was exploiting the occult in the name of sexual freedom? Or do you think like they went hand in hand? Part of me thinks that, I don't know. I feel like he gave it a bad name, gave the occult a bad name. Oh, certainly. By drinking cat blood and saying, certainly. oh, it's, it's all about deviant sexual acts. I think his sexual life and maybe his interest in spirituality, I think in my mind, I at least hope that they were just two different interests and he just I don't know accidentally or maybe on purpose muddled a bunch of rebellious acts together into one Mm -hmm. or maybe the rest of society couldn't understand either of them and assumed they went hand in hand and so Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was his intention on making sexual freedom because I mean I grew up also hearing like witchcraft and the occult and all this scary stuff there was like that really horrible stereotype of there being like sex orgies as part of every ceremony Mm -hmm. or like whatever 
trigger words people could come up with to scare you or things that just seemed outlandish all mixed together in Mm -hmm. one pot. So I don't know how much of that was Aleister Crowley's doing versus people just being scared of everything he was involved Mm -hmm. in and calling it one big circle. So totally. No, I agree. It's kind of hard to say where it began and where it ended. You know, the question, too, is like, was he progressive? Was he ahead of his time? This was the early 1900s. He was radical. I think we can agree in his thinking. I like to think if he lived today, maybe he would have had a healthier outlet. Uh (laughs) I'm not sure if that's the case, but maybe he would have found a safer way to practice his interests and acts that were considered deviant then that are not considered necessarily deviant now. Maybe he would have had a safer way to explore that. But who knows? Maybe some people just want to see the world burn. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. I don't know (laughs) if progressive is the right word. I definitely think if he had some guidance or education, maybe he could have like shifted his interests into like healthier behavior or healthier (laughs) versions of that behavior. Or Mm -hmm. I appreciate that it seems like every time he started a group it felt like it was starting out as like oh take care of yourself and great intentions (laughs) yeah i feel like there was always a a good belief that started it off and then he just really derailed so i don't know if maybe he just needed a group of friends like i think he just needed true friends that he wasn't gonna like completely decimate in six months (laughs) and like just destroy (laughs) the entire social circle but i feel like if he had some consistent friends like kind of keeping him on the right path, maybe he would have found a progressive way to do the things he was doing that were so radical. I think you're probably right. Like a supportive circle. And I want to be the first in saying that I do not volunteer for that role of being his confidant. Someone else can do that. Me either. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Information on today's episode came from Unleashing the Beast by Hugh Urban, Oxford Dictionary of National Biography, Tracy W. Tupman's dissertation on Aleister Crowley for Ohio State University, Future Travel, Branch Collective, Atlas Obscura, Open Culture, National Trust, George State University's Department of Religious Studies, and the Harry Ransom Center. Remember to follow Rituals on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. And you can listen to this and all other episodes of Rituals for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. You can find me at VM Schultz. And you can find me at Xteen Schiefer. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. Rituals is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein. Research by Chelsea Wood. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Jonathan Ratliff with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We are your hosts, Christine Schiefer and M. Schultz. Mm-hmm.